Jeff, welcome. It is Friday afternoon. It is four o'clock on Friday afternoon. We're this is probably going to be a shorter episode. Our schedules just have not been lining up. Last week we missed an episode because we were supposed to record with Logan, but then he was in California. And then our we had planned around that time and that being our episode because we didn't have time later in the week. And then there was a team meeting. I guess they called in all the players. So we didn't get to record with Logan on Tuesday because brother Fano was busy. And so now it's here. It's Friday. And we've been pestered by people that we pestered. need to record. Yeah. You guys, it's like you enjoy the show or something. I My know. gosh. And, and for that, we are grateful. Like, but yes. it's like, this is one of the, this is the show where it's like, we don't have an agenda right now. Like this no. is our only show where we are a purely agenda We have no idea where this is going. And a lot of that's because like, I feel like June, June is the like peak of the off season or not like the peak. It's like the bottom, the opposite of the peak. It's the bottom of the Valley, right? Where it's like, yeah, you are so far out that you are done caring and thinking about last year. It's you've been hyped up since spring ball, like spring balls two months ago. The draft was over a month ago, right? Like it's, there's, you're in the middle of summer. Your favorite baseball team just snapped a 15 game losing streak. Well, game losing streak. I and wanted it to get to 15. That would have been cool. I wanted it to get to 26. Like stop half-assing the losing. If you're going to go yeah. on a losing streak, like whatever you are, be good at it. So be you know, better that, at losing and go for the record. That but, losing streak was interesting because when they all switched, so this was their 14th loss when they all switched their walk-up music to Nickelback. And I get the idea, right? The idea is you're trying to do something to get you off the snide. I understand right. that. When I played high school baseball, we had a slump buster term and it was, Hey, just go hook up, whatever hookup means to you. That has varying levels of whatever it means, but go hook up with the ugliest man or woman that you can hook up with. Have a slump buster, probably misogynistic, probably a kind of a bunch of asshole things, but that was a slump buster. And so I understand switch your walk up music to the worst music that you can think of Nickelback. I, I get it. But the Angels then lost again. Right. So, like, the thing about the slump buster is if you, you exercise your right to, to execute a slump buster, then you still lose. Where do you go? I know. Well, I mean, it's, that's why they fired Joe Madden, which is kind of crazy. But then it's – I actually – I have a coworker that I work with who used to work for the New York Mets. Um, ah. so he ran, he actually, for a couple seasons, he ran and was in charge of a lot of their data around, um, like the radar guns and how they use them in the stadium. So he and I were talking about it after, uh, after the angels fired Joe Madden and we came to the conclusion, this isn't just like just me, right. Of, but it's honestly like, is there a more of a figurehead position in coaching than a major league baseball manager? Like the like numbers, well, you can't, they're banning the shift next year, right? But it's like, okay, you decide when to shift. Okay, that's dictated by numbers. Like you have your stats department say, hey, this guy hits this way, you should shift against them, and then you do it. And then it's like, you are deciding when, you're not calling the game, quote unquote calling, because that is like your catcher is telling the pitcher what to throw. So what you're deciding, now's a good time that we should take a risk on trying to send a runner and steal second base or bunt or whatever and you're deciding when to sub a pitcher like that's not rocket science like it's i feel like baseball more than any other sport the manager's job is just like it's like culture setting 
That's like, yeah. right. And it's, and so in that sense, you're like, Oh, Joe Madden was a great manager. Cause yeah, look what he did. In the Cubs, like, look what he did with Tampa. Like, yes, he's a good manager, but it's like the entire team was checked out. Right. And it's like the culture was not there. And it, that was beyond the slump. Right. And yeah. it was like, it wasn't changing. So it's, I'm kind of like, well, I don't know if they called up Shohei and Mike Trout and said, uh, what do you think? And they're just like, I don't know. We don't relate to this dude. Like, it's just not, we don't feel anything about him. Like, you know, then it's like, then you need a new manager. It's time to time for the angels to trade Otani trade trout. No, they need to trade armor. They need to trade their owner. If you can't win games with Mike trout and Shohei Otani, then you might as well just try something. Scrap well, I mean, whatever it, you're doing doesn't work. It's they, yeah, it's they need relievers because even so during the first twelve. Okay, no, look at it. In the first tw- those twelve, the first twelve games of the, um, I mean the runs weren't coming either during that streak. But like in the first twelve games of that streak, six of them they had a lead in the seventh inning or later, and a reliever blew the lead. Hey, and another six they lost by one run. I I understand they can need relievers too. But like Trout's been there for a decade now, and they haven't done anything with him. Like you yeah. have the undisputed best player in baseball, and you can't win games. And then two, and then three years have... ago, you add the next undisputed best player in baseball, and you still can't win games. Just blow it up. Try something new. Which so trade they... him to the Braves. No, do not trade him to the Braves, which they did like two last year or the year before last in the draft. They only drafted pitchers. Like if you think it's, they drafted like 35 pitchers and said, look, we're good. Right. And it's, it hasn't helped over the last decade. Right. I mean, but the problem is like Artie Moreno just inserts himself too much. Like he was the one that's like, let's sign Albert Pujols for 10 years when he's already like 60 years old leaving St. Louis. He's the one that was like, oh, let's give Josh Hamilton a, 12 year, like 700 million bajillion dollar contract after he's already been suspended for doing Coke 18 times. Like it's, he was the one who's like, we want big name free agents. I don't care. We're going to spend our way in. Who cares about the farm system? And it's like, it's not working. Whatever it is, they need to just scrap it all. Which, yeah, we'll see. It's last year was the, you don't have to trade trout to the Braves. You could trade Otani to the Braves. I will give you Guillermo Heredia for Shohei Otani. Mm, I'll pass. <laughs> um, we do, speaking of the Braves, though, I mean, the Angels GM, Perry Minisian, this is only his third season. Like, so we had 2020 is when he came in, which your first or whatever. And then it's like last year was the year when they drafted everybody. And he came from, he was the assistant GM at Atlanta and coordinated yeah. most, he built most, of, you know, had a very, involved hand in building most of that world championship roster. So it's it, it get a couple more years, but it's also kind of, it's, I don't know, it's, that's another thing. Like you can be the best GM and have the, like, the best ideas in the world, but if you can't get the person with the purse strings to get behind it, or they want to do something different, it doesn't matter, which is like, we've churned through GMs, right? If the owner's like, nah, I don't want to do that. We're going to do this instead. Then it's like, okay, then what did you hire me to do? Like, what do you want me to do then? Cause there's some of that. Right. And I think we see a lot of the, that tying this back tying this actually back to BYU. I, I feel like we see this a lot with like the Cougar club and how things are where it's like, we talked to Isaac Wood, who you and I talk to him all the time. We are, you know, we still continue to talk to him multiple times a week. He reached out to us after we said some things about the Cougar club on the show, we built a great relationship. He had all sorts of ideas 
but they're not happening, right? Because it's like, you can have all the ideas in the world, but if the people above you do not like the ideas mm-hmm. and don't want to pay for the ideas, then your ideas don't matter. And some of that is, well, you have to do a good job at selling the ideas. And mm-hmm. if you don't sell the idea well, then of course no one wants to buy it. But the other side of that is, well, if they're just going to be cheap or they want to do things differently, then what's the point of having that position in the first place? Speaking of the Cougar Club, though, um, we were pretty critical. I'm trying to remember when it was. It was five or six weeks ago. We were pretty critical of Greg Vehar. And I don't, know, I don't know if it was much about Greg specifically as it was what Greg kind of represented. But yeah, it was the old and we want, we want new and fresh yeah, and exciting yeah, yeah. and different. We want to try new things. Be that as it may, whatever the, 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 the genesis of that conversation was, I am in communication with Greg. We're going to go talk ideas here in the next couple of weeks. So that is good. So kudos, you know, we were critical, but kudos to give them hell, Brigham subscribers and listeners who helped coordinate this, but also kudos to BYU. We'll see what happens, but they're at least willing to not, you know, deflect criticism, not run away from criticism, but to say, Hey, let's talk. Let's talk through it. I think that's great. I, I think it's really interesting because BYU is in a weird spot where as a booster organization and this kind of kind of goes back to like what we've said about Stanford, right? Like the, I could never pass up a Stanford education is the most overplayed untrue BS mm-hmm. that goes around in BYU circles, right? Of like, yes. Okay. What are you going to do? You want to, okay. You want to go study accounting. It's like, there ain't no undergrad accounting program at Stanford. You got it. Like, you know, and it's, Yes, a Stanford grad program, like you said, but where do most Stanford graduates live? Almost all of them live in like New York, the Bay Area, California, LA, Seattle, right? And it's like, if you don't want to live there, okay, like you move back to Salt Lake. If you apply for a job, if someone with a Stanford degree applies for a job, you're probably like, oh, shoot, this person went to Stanford. They're probably pretty smart. I'll bring them in for an interview. But then you bring them in for the interview. You're not going to give someone the job because they went to Stanford. You got your interview because they went to Stanford. Right. And then when you get there in the interview, you're like, well, that person was weird. And this other person, it was normal to talk to. And they went to BYU or Weber and they have like a couple more years of work experience. Like, I'm not going to hire the Stanford person, whatever. Like, it doesn't, it's not like it, oh, it's a Stanford, you're automatically handed a job. It's you get the interview because of what's on your resume. How you, yeah, how you that- interview is what determines if you get the job. And, and, and that's an important component that I think BYU fans have just conceded. You know, like when we talk about, we, I don't want to get into this subject again for like the 50th time, but BYU fans have some pride, you know, you're more than just Stanford's cousin. You're not even a little brother, right? Like people talk about how could I blame my kid for choosing Stanford over BYU when we're talking about it in context of football, that's not the choice. That's just not the choice. Me going to Stanford. I am a, I am a six foot tall, very unathletic, super slow, balding human being. If I have the choice of a Stanford degree and a BYU degree, it probably makes more sense for me, the six foot tall, unathletic, balding man to go to Stanford. But there is a celebrity status that comes with being a BYU football player that will open just as many doors to that football player as a Stanford degree would. Yes. And I believe that in my heart or, or a Stanford degree for a normal student, 
for a normal student or and for a Stanford football player. I, yeah, because the celebrity status of being a Stanford football player doesn't matter because they only have like 12 people at all their games. Right. But Unless the, you're Andrew Luck, nobody cares. Right. And you – so with that, we're saying – but also that – tying this back to what I was saying with Crew Club is like Stanford, as good as that reputation is that degree, the alumni base is hyper-focused. And yes, the majority of BYU alumni live in Utah and Silicon Slopes. There's a ton of jobs. The economy is great in Utah. Probably going to stay in here. But – there's a crap ton of BYU alumni in the Bay Area, in Seattle, in LA, in Austin, in Dallas, in Houston, in Phoenix. Like you can go pretty much anywhere in the country and you have like the we are everywhere, the world is our campus is very real. And so as a BYU athlete, and this is something that I have talked to a recruiter at a Big 12 who's at a different school who's a big 12 school. And I talked to him about this once and it came up when we were talking about a specific recruit and this staff member was like, dude, y'all need to start like publish. It's like, you need to tell your recruiting staff to start putting out numbers of how many alumni there are in every major Metro, because even these like, yes, people are obsessed. And like the fans are way more like there's obsessive people here that support my school. And it's great. Like I know that any player that celebrity status, but that's limited to our area because that's like the vast majority of our fans live within two hours of campus. Whereas BYU, it's like, yes, the majority, but it's like, there's still, it's maybe like 60% or 50% instead of like 80, 90%, right. Of that live within two hours of campus. So it's like, if you want to leverage that celebrity status, it like your radius of where you can leverage that is much bigger with BYU. Tying that back to recruiting, it's BYU, you can't try to do things the way that every other school does things because it is so spread out. Like other schools, the booster club is let's get donations. Obviously, we want to give you access to the program and the donations are a way to charge a like, you know, to charge money to force you in the door. So that way you're there's no sticker shock on the price of the sheet. Like it's easy to say like, it's easier to say, oh, this seat is $200 a seat, but you have to pick it. And then it's like, but the only way you get to pick it is if you've already donated $5,000 to be able to pick early enough or whatever. That looks a lot better on paper. Like, well, we're not charging an exorbitant amount for tickets. It's only $200 a seat for six games. That's not that bad, whatever, right? And so that's the way it is. But BYU has more fans outside of their school footprint than pretty much every school in the country. And... So it's like, we need to invest because it's, I know we're already fundraising at all time high, but we're still like, we can't sit and accept that and rest on that those laurels because that is still scratching the surface because of the sheer number of non-Utah County fans. Yeah. And, well tap into it somehow. Right? And try to figure out a way. Yeah. To make that work and like do something like freaking send coaches down, like coaches come down on recruiting make sure that a coach has to do like, okay, yeah, here's all the Cougar club members in Phoenix, like host of it. And I know they do some stuff for like the, the big, big fan. Like, you know, I know they do some stuff for like legacy members. Like I'm, there's a decent number of very wealthy legacy members in the Bay area that work in Silicon Valley. I know that occasionally they send stuff out and they'll do things for them. Like, Hey, we're getting a box at like a warriors game. Come kind of hang out and network. Okay. You don't even have to do that, but it's like, you can do simple things of like, Oh, Kalani's coming down on a recruiting trip. He's going to be down there for two days. We are going to do a dinner or just even send all the coaches out. Be like, okay, we're going to send 
Kalani to San Francisco. We're going to send A-Rod to LA. We're going to send Tuiaki to Phoenix. We're going to send some like Gennaro down to Dallas. And we're just going to do events like a meet and greet. That's only exclusive to Cougar club members. And we're going to charge four tickets and it will be like, we'll do a dinner somewhere like just even freaking like, okay, we're going to pick a hotel where they're going to stay at book the conference room and what, and it's like, you can even charge tickets to offset some of the cost and just say, Hey, we're Cougar club exclusive meet and greet. Like you can come and that's whatever. And like, you can do something like that. That's different than what every other school does. Like, yeah. Does it suck to have to travel one more year? Yes. Is it going to be much more likely that, cause it's like, I don't have the money right now to drop $10,000 to become a legacy Cougar club member. But if I knew that at like the $500 a year level, I would get invited to that event. I would probably up my thing to $500 in the meantime. Right. And so it's there, there's just like, there's some things that you can do to be a little more creative. And that's, that's what I want to see. So I hope this meeting goes well um, with brother Vehar and I hope, I don't know, you can have him call me too. Cause you, we have different perspectives, right? Actually very, cause there's three, there's really three kinds of BYU fans, right? Like there's, the out-of-staters like me, there's the Utah Salt Lake County people who are going to tons of events that are kind of your bread and butter buying season tickets holders. And then there's kind of, there's people like you where it's you're up North and where you live in like Clearfield now or you West, live in West Point. Yeah. West Point. So almost Clearfield. It's like you live up North for an eight o'clock kick. It's really hard to get down to a game on a Saturday. Cause you're not going to get home till two or three in the morning. So you're, you're like a semi out of stater. Like if there was something enticing enough, you'd probably suck it up and make the drive. You're going to drive for like the Utah game or the Boise game, but not for Liberty. And then you like, but so you have you, the in-person stuff on campus is a little more enticing to you, but yeah. still like, you know, do, which they do some of that. Like they do the fan fest up in like your neck of the woods and like they, they do. do things like that. They do. And, and they do a pretty good job. I would actually say that there's a different section of the fans, like the proximity. I think you nailed it, but I also think that there are in-state alumni out of state alumni. And then people like me, I never went to BYU. Like I, it just didn't happen for whatever reason. I didn't go to BYU and I'm still a fan. And I think there's a lot of the me's out there too, that are just, fans and i think that the cougar club could do something to i don't know if placate is the right word but to accommodate those non-alumni fans i think that would be cool i also while you were talking i had this idea and i don't know how this would work so bear with me while i talk through this because this is uh i don't know if it's like a recruiting thing because you wouldn't directly be recruiting the high school kid but it's like a name recognition thing for BYU football that I think would go a long ways in helping kids get recruited or get noticed or whatever. So here's my idea. Here's where I, what I think BYU could do. Uh, so I work, in, I work in finance, so everybody knows that. So I'm going to talk specifically about finance, but apply this into whatever field you think. There's a huge, uh, it's more or less a trade show called Money 2020 every year. It is like the premier payments conference in the financial space every single year. It's in Vegas. There are tens of thousands of, peoples who, uh, of people who go from banks to investment firms to all of the different technology companies that are trying to get into like the, 
the credit card processing space or, or what have you. There's, there's tons of people that go to this. I think it would be cool, and I have no idea if it's feasible or not, but what if BYU football found a way to recruit, basically, again, for name recognition, but to send a football, like, or to have a football booth, or to go down there and find a way to, like, be a keynote speaker or something like that. Like, you just pay your way into those roles anyways, right? So find a way to start bringing some BYU football name recognition to these various leaders of tech companies, of financial companies, of banks, right? Just to bring more name recognition to BYU football so that when so-and-so... Do that, right? Like I have a picture with Magic Johnson that I took because I was at the Domo conference. Exactly. He was the key speaker. And the year before that, they had Marshawn Lynch. Like, yeah, they just talk about Marshawn Lynch doesn't know jack about data right. and reporting so so have have kalani or whomever show up have tom homo show up man a booth for a day if they can speak they can speak but just to be like hey byu football is in the conversation with financial companies what is byu football going to offer those financial companies nothing i mean realistically nothing right but how cool would that be if I'm an executive at some whatever company Fiserv out of Nebraska. They're, they have a Nebraska division. And now I have a former BYU football player or any BYU grad who is applying for a job at my company. And I recognize BYU because of their booth at this conference. I don't think that, I mean, I don't know how you quantify an ROI. So BYU probably says no. And this is an idea that I'm having in real time. So maybe this doesn't work or maybe it needs to be tweaked. But how does BYU football find a way to align themselves with all of these companies so that they can help build up their their brand so that it's respected in the workplace, very similar to the way that other schools are, right? I think that there's an opportunity there that if you want to recruit against Stanford, if you want to recruit against, you know, Baylor's going to be tough to recruit against as, as BYU transitions to the Big 12. If you want to be able to go toe for toe with schools like that from an educational standpoint, you've got to do these things that are going to help give you that arrow in your quiver, right? You've got to be able to prove to recruits that, hey, no, your degree matters too. So doing some weird little things like that, I think it'd be kind of cool. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't make sense, but these are the ideas that are in my head on a June afternoon while I'm literally laying in bed as we record. And this, this is what's rattling around in my brain. That's another, that is something else too. That's is a really interesting thing because not even getting a booth, like going to a major conference like that would be something that is interesting in like into a place where you could meet a large number of possibly out of state people. So like, I know, I don't know if, have you ever heard of Snowflake? Yeah. It's so Snowflake is interesting. So they moved, they are a data warehouse solution. That's what we use in my current job. That's what we use in my last job. They're really, really popular. Their stock is going through the roof. They were all notable that during the pandemic, they got rid of all their real estate in San Francisco and moved their headquarters to Montana because the CEO and founder of the company was like, I have a cabin in Montana. I want to go live there instead. So that's where we're moving the office. If you want to move to Montana, great. Otherwise go work wherever you want. We're remote first now. Um, 
but snowflake is this week had like their big conference in las vegas so i know a, i mean i know three byu fans that are there because some of my coworkers that i or, you know, that former coworkers that went there who are BYU fans. But it's one of those things where you could piggyback, not even necessarily getting a booth or something. Like where I was saying, like, go send someone down to meet people, send someone from the Cougar Club to go schmooze just at a conference, right? Like that's what yeah. one of the things that Domo, even though I do not like Domo, was notable for is that when Tableau had their big conference a few years ago, the Domo rented space at the hotel across the street and put up signs that were like, Hey, Tableau is boring. They don't have any events at night for you. Come like, we're having a concert tonight. Your Tableau conference ticket is your entry ticket to our event. Come over here after you're done over there and we'll show you a good time. Like that was what they did. So like you could do, you get creative, like you could do something like that. Like, yeah, send Colonial, if they can't speak at the conference or whatever, like how many BYU alumni work at Fiserv? There's gotta be a decent number. You would think, right? Or any any number of these companies. Um, so it's like you could go, if Fiserv has a conference, then you're going to have all of the BYU employees that work there. And then everyone who's attending the conference who went to BYU, maybe that's 25 people, 30 people, 50 people. Just send someone down and say, hey, we're going to host a dinner tonight for all the BYU alumni here and do it in connection with the alumni association. And then just piggyback off of that. Like every alumni association event should also be a Cougar Club event. Like I get that they are different things and Cougar Club is raising around athletics and the alumni association is fundraising for the school itself and funding scholarships and things for regular students. But like there needs to be more work with them because like there's an alumni chapter in Phoenix. They have events, whatever. And it's like when they have events, like get someone from the AD down here have someone come down and just be like, Hey, this is something that's going on. Like tease stuff, like, you know, whatever, talk about things and just get more, like get in front of people. Cause you got to get in front of people to get them to open their checkbooks. And if you live near the stadium, the best possible way of getting in front of someone to open their checkbooks is someone wants season tickets and the team is what's in front of them, but outside there, like you got to give something right. And it's mm-hmm. another thing is, so I, I don't know if you saw this, did you see that LSU is launching their own streaming service? I think mm-hmm. Ole Miss, a couple other schools are, which BYU yeah. TV already has BYU, BYU already has BYU TV, which has a lot of school specific content. So they're basically doing that, but there's still like so much more that I think they could be charging like $4.99 a month for, or See, it gets it, or it comes like, this is part of like, or it's included with your Cougar Club membership. It's like make that a benefit of it's like, oh, like, yeah, there's the old games on BYU TV, but you can watch this. Or there's a weekly show, like after further review, but it's with former players and you can like submit questions about certain plays. And that's only like streamed only available to crew or club members. Like, yeah, right. there could be some people that are like, well, I downloaded it, figure out a way to download it and upload it on YouTube and whatever. Blah, blah, blah. That's a problem. Piracy is a problem with every, that every company faces and guess what? They're still making money. So I've always thought about this. I just don't know that I ever see the church getting into that. You know what I mean? Like finding ways to capitalize off of uh, BYU TV or BYU TV facilities. I love the idea. I wish they would. I'm not even saying change what you currently have. It's just like in addition to it. Do yeah, some, just, and, and that's like stuff that the AD could do on their own. And, and they even did that because that was one of the initial things that uh, ideas that you gave Isaac that ended up happening. Right. Was they kind of did like a, it was a Cougar Club only 
like a zoom call during the 2020 season, right. Where it was like Chad Lewis and yeah. Lee. Chalk talk after yeah. games. Yeah. Just, it was like, it was like yeah. Chad and Lee got on and you, you know, kind of talk about things and kind of break down more film and more nitty gritty X's and O's. And I think a lot of people liked that. Oh, by I the way, too. there are uh, 29 people that from BYU that work at Fiserv. Well, there we go. That's just one random company. Yeah. But it's like, dude, there's 25 people, like some of them are VP, like they're not random people within the company, like some partner, like this, there's like senior manager, um, director, like the most of them are director level and above. It's like, those are people who, yeah, if they live in Nebraska or something, are not going to probably give you 20, a $20,000 donation, but you could probably get them on the hook for a thousand bucks a year. Something. Yeah. Um, this really, like we said at the beginning of the show, this is a, and it's an agenda list show. We are here. We are recording today for all of y'all, the people, and we're kind of just letting our thoughts and feelings guide us where they will. And my thoughts and feelings want to talk about the big 12 because it's official now, Houston, UCF and Cincinnati will Uh, They've reached an agreement with the American. They will be joining the Big 12 next year along with BYU, which is good news. That hopefully allows the Big 12 conference now to finalize their plans in terms of, uh, you know, how many games or how many conference games are we going to play? Where are Texas and Oklahoma going to go? Because, you know, they they still, according to sources, they're still not going to leave until 2024 at the earliest. So there's still a couple of years left with them. Now the Big 12 could start to move forward. I want to talk about the Big 12 without Oklahoma and without Texas. And I want to find some parallels. Okay, so walk with me on this journey. Garrett. Okay. In the old Mountain West days, who did we hate the most? We hated Utah the most. Who is our, our new Utah in the Big 12 conference? Here's the thing. It's people are going to, BYU fans are going to try to force it to be TCU because of the conference history with uh-huh. TCU. But TCU has, they were in the Southwest Conference with half those teams for like 60 years. They've yeah. been in the Big 12 for more than twice as long as they were in the Mountain West. Right. And even from TCU fan perspectives they see like utah as being their bigger rival during their mountain west era than they see byu so if we try to force it to say oh well it's tcu you know whatever then that's like that's very utah state-ish like i'm not big on forcing rivals like just shit's got to happen and you got to start to hate each other over crap that's happened so i think there is if you are going to be a um religious school whatever there's a good chance that like baylor i think houston could probably be like built into something because it's like the cougars and the cougars but i don't know it's honestly like i could see it end up being like texas tech really it's going to be whoever gets elevated to being the last gate like the permanent opponent whenever they drop the divisions which i think they Dennis Dodd reported that they're planning on two seven-team divisions for the inner, like the period when, for the couple years, yeah, for the couple years, and then they'll drop divisions. Whoever the permanent opponents are, whoever gets slotted like the last week of the season as being like the rivalry week, that that is who will probably after five years will be like become the hated game. I hope it's UCF. 
So there's a little bit of history with BYU and UCF. They've played right. a few There was times the time Jordan Leslie got mugged in the end zone and we lost right. the game. There was the, the Cody Hoffman had to run a kickback in order to yep. secure the win for BYU. So there's been a handful of games. So I like that. The other thing I like is that UCF also doesn't really have a natural fit for a rival. Yeah, I, can, uh, like, I like that. Cincinnati kind of has some history with West Virginia. Houston's always kind of been in that Texas world, so they kind of have somebody. But BYU and UCF are both rivalless as they go into the Big 12. And UCF fans hate. They hate everybody. Like, they got angst. And so I think that UCF fans will very quickly grow to hate BYU. And I think that BYU fans, we can very quickly grow to hate uh, UCF. And I think that if we can somehow make BYU part of the conversation in the Florida area, that helps us. Like, no, they're never going to be Miami or Florida. And Mormons love Disney. And UCF is where where Disney World is. And most Mormons also hate the state of California and would rather go to Disney World than to Disneyland just to stick it to California. So So I I actually, I really like that because it's not forced at all. Right. Because like Cincinnati and West Virginia, they have history together in the Big East. It was about the same time that BYU and TCU have history together, but they have no history with anybody else in that league. I mean, obviously Cincinnati has Houston and UCF where they've had, you know, since their conference USA days. Um, But there's, you know, it's not forced like Texas tech. Like, yes, they're the closest school to us, but like, you can't really force something because it's like, they, they're not just going to suddenly hate Oklahoma state less right in, in hate us more. And so I think I like that UCF because it's like, on the one hand, it's kind of like when the American tried to do like the civil conflict and make UCF and Connecticut a rivalry um, with a lame trophy. But oh, on the other hand, dumb. it's kind of like there is an, a little bit of history and it will be competitive. And we don't like there. It's not secondary for it wouldn't be like secondary for either program. Right. Cause even if we want to do something with Houston, it's like Houston still is going to be pissed at all those other Texas schools that they got left out. And that they ended yep. up in Conference USA, not the Big 12, the first go around. And, yep. you know, they've got history with Baylor and TCU and whoever. And so it's like, yeah, I think, I I think like there's that a lot. I, I like, I like the, the, your logic there with the UCF pick. It feels like it's something that could grow without being totally feeling forced. So next, uh, TCU is an obvious one. TCU is the new TCU. Right. So we can't force TCU, like you said, to be the new Utah but there's no reason that TCU can't become what TCU was, right? right. So I think that's there. Um, moving along, Wyoming. Wyoming and BYU have had their moments where they were very competitive. Wyoming despises BYU. They hate BYU so much. And now BYU fans don't like Wyoming, but they also don't really acknowledge that Wyoming exists. Who is the new Wyoming? Ooh, um, I, for the new Wyoming, I'm going to say that it is going to be Iowa State because Ooh. you remember, Iowa I know State, where you're going with this. I already know. They wrote in 2016, they did their whole thing about how they didn't want BYU in their conference because they hate yeah. us and everything we stand for. Their student body, after we got invited, wrote a thing of how they were mad that the students weren't consulted before yep. we were extended the invitation and um and iowa state like wyoming 
I mean, they're kind of peaking right now, but in their program's history, how many top 25 finishes does Iowa State have? Do you know off the top of your head? Oh, I'm going to say less than five. Three. Yeah. 1976, they were eight and three and finished number 19. Uh, 2000, they were nine and three and finished number 25 after they picked up that bowl win against, you know, the guaranteed rate bowl. They played, uh, they played Pitt and beat them 37 to 29 and ended up number 25 in the final ranking. That was the only time they were ranked the entire season. Wow. And then 20, the weird 2020 season when they were nine and three and finished number nine and went to the Fiesta Bowl. So this run of since since Matt Campbell took over of, you know, where they have yeah, been it's ranked the, at some it's point. It's the Brock one, Purdy two, run. Four, five. Yeah, the Brock Purdy run is really the only time. Because even then, just seasons where they were ever ranked at all, it was like 1938, they finished unranked after getting up to 18 at one point. Uh, 1972, they were number 12, but then didn't finish ranked. Then there's 1976 when they did finish rank. And then 77, 78, 80, 81, they were ranked at some point during those years, but didn't finish ranked. And then they've been ranked every year since 2017. They have spent at least part of the season ranked. And so, yeah. but like last year, they were preseason number seven. That was their peak. They finished seven and six and didn't end up ranked. Mind-boggling. And I watched them lose to Westford. And then I watched, or no, that was, yeah. And then they went to the Cheez-It Bowl and they lost to Clemson. That's right. Um, so it's like Iowa State is a school that has historically nothing. It's in the middle of effing nowhere. The entire state is really boring. They have no real solid football history other than when they had a good coach, they had like a decent five-year run and gave people fits and their fans are obsessed with hating us. Is that okay. not the definition of that is Iowa state and it is Wyoming. I can, I can get on board with that. I'm going to pay homage to episode like one of give them hell, Brigham. Lubbock sucks. Lubbock sucks, man. And Texas Tech, I don't think BYU fans are mentally prepared for the amount of religious angst that is going to come from Texas Tech. I know that sounds weird. I know that people are thinking, Jeff, why would they just trust me, folks? Um, They will mock us as much or more than anybody else. So that is my belief is the Texas Tech will become the new Wyoming. Uh, I just want to do a couple more. San Diego State. That's a team that we all love to hate. They're not really a primary rival, but they sure are. Who becomes Kansas or Kansas State? Who becomes San Diego State? Um, hmm. Who becomes San Diego State? I don't know because it's, that's another similar one where San Diego State, we've had some heated games in, but really I feel like the San Diego State hatred has gone up more in the last decade than it was the entire time we were actually in a conference with them. Like we always had some games with them or whatever, but then it was like within the last decade, it was like Jimmer versus Kawhi. That was a thing. And then there was the whole uh, video replay thing when we'd already announced that we were leaving the Mountain West and they accused of homecoming, whatever. And then really since the show became a thing and their social media constantly hating on us and being extremely vulgar, whatever, like I feel like the San Diego State hatred is in our disdain for them and like l- us thriving on Aztec tears is very recent. Um, 
relative to like, I mean, I don't know, when did they join the WAC? Like 1980 or something. something um, like and so they, I think, yeah, I would say that it's semi-recent, um, but I, I don't know who. I, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be Kansas State. Okay. Because Kansas State, they have runs in basketball where you're going to learn to hate them in the basketball floor. They have weird little runs in football where we're going to hate them in football too. I think it's going to be Kansas State. So, I, yeah, I feel like the San Diego State, though, it's not so much about the games. It's really, the, I think, the hatred for most BYU fans are in San Diego State is because of the show's Twitter account. That is true. And, and so, and I don't know if anybody else in the country has something that is as stupid as that. That's a good point. Okay. Maybe there is it a San Diego State. Last one that I want to do. Um, who will be... So I always, I will always and forever have images of Bradley Van Pelt's mullet running around the field and just destroying BYU. Colorado State was always the game that I hated to play. Even when they weren't good, I still hated that game because in my head, Colorado State always had this potential to be like a real bona fide threat to BYU, Utah, and TCU in the Mountain West Conference. Now they never, you know, they never did but they always could have they were always seemingly right there and bradley van pelt was about as close as they got who is and maybe honestly maybe byu is kind of the new colorado state of the big 12 but who will be the new colorado state for byu in the big 12 i think that may be the kansas state okay because kansas state right it's they are, uh, is Kansas State a land-grant school like Colorado State is? I don't know. Probably. Um, I, I just they, assume most I think of they those are, yeah, schools it's, are. It's the, public, it's the land-grant school in Kansas. Um, I think it's like the scrappy, you know, kind of Plains team, right? Because it's, you know, Colorado State's not in Denver. It's not in the city the way you see Boulder is. It's kind of, you know, Fort Collins is like the outskirts, whatever. I think... I think Kansas state could be that team because it's like, they've, they're not consistent, but you always expect, even when they're down, you expect them to be a threat, right. And to kind of be frustrating to you most years. And they never really just roll over and play dead. Um, and then, but then they've also legitimately had some good teams. And so it's like, people respect them as a perfectly like good, but not great program. And so okay. I, I think, I, I think I could see Kansas state, being uh you know being that team um i think it i think it's west virginia i, I think west virginia is similar like i think they're very basic, similar yeah programs. basically like the it's, same they're reason. kind of sixes in terms yeah they're they're very similar in terms of that of where it's like they've had their run and it's they generally are never really bad but they're rarely very very good and they're and like, you always think they're, they're better solid, than they are. They're solid eight and five, but that yeah. five, it's kind of like, well, they could have won three of those and been 10 and two. Yeah. Late in it, you know, they kind of screwed up here or there. Well, like you always think of like Pat White, you know, like when you think of West Virginia, you think of those Dana Holgerson early, you know, Rich Rod type teams where, where they were, they were like 10, 11 win teams. Now that only happened for a couple of years, but it felt like that's what West Virginia was for a long time, even though they weren't. Right. And as an aside, I'm super pumped about Dana Holgerson versus former Dana, Dana Holgerson. The West Virginia-Houston rivalry, I think, will be kind of fun to watch develop oh, yeah. because of Dana. 
and, that and also might be something that, that Dana becomes... versus the Big Twelve refs because he hates Big Twelve refs, right? And that that may be something that becomes something you know becomes a better rivalry just because of that history with Dana. As long as if he's there for the next few years, who knows how long Neil Brown is going to be there? He's he is hot, um, yeah. But he, I think, um, you know, I think there's a chance that he. Uh, I think there's a chance that Dana Holgerson is in Houston for a while and they have a, uh, they've kind of built up that rivalry there because of them. And so I, I think Houston will be interesting to see who like their protected rivals are. If they go with three protected rivals, they will probably, I don't know, I could see them sticking one of those being West Virginia out the gate because of Dana. And if that happens, then that will kind of build that, but it'll probably be, I mean, what you have Baylor and TCU, those are the big rivals. And what the other two Texas schools that you have are tech and Houston are probably going to be like, that's going to be their like main in-state rival. Right. And then, um, so whoever it is, but I, I think I could see that Houston, West Virginia becoming like a solid second tier rivalry. Yeah. I could see that. Uh, for a show that had no agenda that we kind of just threw together at the last minute, it feels like it's been okay. Oh Yeah. This has definitely been okay. It's been great. We didn't do any quarantine kitchen. Do you know why? Because I have not wanted to cook. I am battling a real true lack of lack of cooking motivation. And I don't know why, because I do love to cook, but I just have struggled with getting up and putting something together. Yeah, it's, I mean, I've been struggling with, like, I haven't smoked, like, I haven't made barbecue in a long time. Right? Long like, time, me neither. And, yeah. and it's, I mean, it's like, I've done, like, pork, right? I've done, like, I made some ribs, right? But it's, there's nothing that I'm, like, I feel like it's, yeah, I, I haven't seen anything. I mean, what, like, the last big trend was, like, oh, doing smoked queso. That was the thing that everyone was doing. was, like, oh, do, mm-hmm. like, smoked chorizo queso. That's whatever. And it's, like, I've done that, and it's good, like, but I, it's, I've kind of been, yes, in that same thing where it's just like I've everything I've done has been like super quick, like very easy. Um, one thing that we do do a lot is you do. <laughs> do is we eat a lot of quesadillas at our house, ah. and this is something that is great if you could like mix a quesadilla filling. And so we've done this a bunch where we've, I mean, you can like even put in like a can of like cans of shredded like chicken and whatever like cans of chicken like right the way tuna comes in a can whatever or you can go like I've, we've done it meatless too where it's we've done where we take cheese and like a can of black beans chop up some on, like a red onion and some cilantro and put that in a bag with cheese and then like some taco seasoning and just like shake it all up so then it's like a filling and then you can keep that in your fridge for like three or four days and yeah. then it, or whatever. And then it's like, as long as you, you want a quesadilla, it's like, oh, well, I'm not just going to put some cheese on a quesadilla. It's like, I got like a quesadilla, quesadilla. And we've done it go. too, where we've, um, where we've put like, you know, put in chicken or something like cook some meat and put it in there. Um, we've done other stuff with it. Like we've done some other chicken where we've like cut up chicken and mixed it in with the cheese, but then it had like orange chicken sauce on it and do like an Asian quesadilla. We did one where it was like, we put in um, like olives and feta and like regular and did like a Mediterranean quesadilla. So it's, you can get creative with quesadillas and it's a solid, like 
if, especially if you're working from home, it's a solid like meal prep where it's, you just dump it in a bag and it's sitting in the fridge and when you want it, it's, it's fresh. So it's not like the, it doesn't feel meal preppy, which is, meal prepping is weird. Cause it's like, okay, you invented eating leftovers. Mm-hmm. Good job. Um, but it's not like, Oh, this has been sitting here in the fridge for four days. And I'm eating leftovers. It doesn't feel like leftovers, right? You just pre half prepared the ingredients. That's a good point. And I think that does sound good. I'm determined I'm going to try something. Maybe that's what I'll try. The only thing I've made recently, and it was kind of by accident, is I bought some super thin, uh, thin sliced steaks for like Phillies. But mm-hmm. then I decided I wanted to get a little bit wild with the Phillies. So I, I made the steak Japanese flavored, like did mm-hmm. Japanese barbecue sauce, cooked it in sesame oil, you know, put in, you know, garlic and a few other like Japanese type flavors. Right. And then just served it as a Philly after that. So then had peppers and onions and and a Philly. It actually was really good. So there was that. That's really the only thing I've cooked over the last little while, but it was good. Good little twist on a Philly cheesesteak. I I do like that. That actually sounds good. I may do that. I have a, uh, I bought, and I never, ever buy this, but I went to the store this morning because um, Safeway or Albertsons, I don't know what, they're the same company. I don't know what they have in Utah um, or even if they have either of them. They were having a big sale. So it was like New York's were $5 a pound. So I went and maxed out what they would let me buy because even if it's not the best steak I've ever had, you know, it wasn't prime, but I ain't going to turn down a steak for five bucks a pound. Sure. And then I bought... Two, they had a London broil for like, it was like two ninety seven a pound, which also, again, very lean, generally tough. If you don't treat it right, got to like usually braise it or something, right? With a London broil, not the top shelf beef, but it was literally like two cents cheaper a pound to get beef instead of chicken. So I was like, I can, I can do something with this. So I got to, I don't know what I'm going to do with the two London broil roasts that I bought but I you should just grind it. That's take, it. Take the fat from your steaks that you're going to cut off, put that into your London broil and grind it. And boom, you just got 297, uh, fresh 297 grinder. a pound, fresh ground beef. Boom, there we go. That may be a good excuse. I don't have a meat grinder. I guess I could buy, oh, the, yeah. I, I could buy the grinder. Do you have an actual like grinder grinder or do you just have the kitchen? I have a KitchenAid, so I can get that. Adapter. So I had the KitchenAid adapter forever. I liked it. It was fine. But then on a whim one day, back when I was really into my Amazon getting free shit from Amazon. Oh, yeah. uh, They had something. I can't remember what it was, but they had something of value that I got for free that I ended up selling to a friend. And then I took that money and used that as an excuse to buy a meat grinder, like a full on meat grinder. So I, I now have a meat grinder. The KitchenAid attachment was fine. But when you wanted to use like do it in quantities, that KitchenAid attachment was kind of slow. But if you're wanting to like grind your burgers right now to use, perfect. If you're wanting to grind 20 pounds of burger to freeze, it kind of takes forever on the KitchenAid. Mm-hmm. That is good to know. And, and I wonder which I guess, I mean, yeah, I guess it would just depend on how you want to do it. Because you could also, right, like you could also like cube and freeze your meat and then still just pull out what you need and grind a pound at a time. Right. Um, which I don't know, was the... Yeah. You have to send me which grinder you got. Um, cause I mean, there's some that are like, 
$80. I'm like, hey, this is probably plastic and Chinese. And there's other, you go on Amazon looking and it's like pro cut KG 22 meat grinder, one horsepower motor, $1,600. Like, yeah, I don't need that. Mm-hmm. I, so um, I'll look it up. It, it's been a while, but I'll try to track that down. Yeah. So it's even, yeah, I've been in a similar boat where it's like, I just haven't a lot of the things I want to, and maybe some, honestly, I think some of it is because of inflation. Like there's, I don't want to go like, I'm not like, oh yeah, let's go get brisket or like we do tri-tip all the time. It's like tri-tip is like nine bucks a pound now. Right. And so it's like stupid. And so it's like a lot of it has just been like eating cheap because like, yeah, unhealthy, cheap crap, which, and like, it's, it's cheaper to go to McDonald's and buy the, what was once the $10 combo, like two, what was it like 20 nuggets, two fries and two cheeseburgers. It's now 13 bucks, but it's cheaper for me to like buy two of those and feed my family of five than it is to go and buy like hamburger patties at the store and buns and frozen fries. Like it ends up being about the same. And one of them is way more convenient than the other. You're paying, yeah, you're definitely paying for the convenience because I don't even know what ground beef, what the price is for ground beef. Yeah, I'm looking right now. It's like, yeah, $4.28 a pound. It's insane. What's wild is like I've seen is the um, the trays around me. This doesn't make sense. The trays, which is if you are making burgers, you want to get a tray of ground beef if you're not grinding your own because if you get like the like the roll like the tubies those are the tube that's like where it's like more mechanically done and it's like your burgers will not be as juicy because they've squeezed all of the air out between that and so it is just it's going to be more dense like the same thing when you make a patty you know you want it to be as little like loosely put together as possible handle the meat as little as possible so when you throw it on the grill there's like it's not dense but so it's weird as like the plates or the trays of ground beef have been cheaper per pound than like the rolls. And it's like, the rolls are the crappy meat. It's like, I don't know what's what anymore. I don't know anything anymore, man. It's all so stupid. It's all so expensive. I don't know what to do. I'm tired of the politics just blaming each other for it. Like, I don't really give a shit whose fault it is. We're here where we are right now. Can we just start talking about maybe like trying to wrap our head around this and fixing it? I don't know, man. I don't know. Now, here's the other thing that boggles my mind. We're now getting on to just the what is on my mind part of the episode. Um, I am over people who are over our call center. So our entry-level call center. And this anybody... Is, this is a very, like, Friday afternoon-y. Yeah. Night. We're going to get this and then go to the weekend because it's... So, Anybody who's hired entry-level positions over the last year knows how much it sucks. So hiring is one thing. I have had three people walk out with no intention of working. Like they don't have other jobs. They're just like, I don't like this job. So they've walked out. These are entry-level people. So it's not like they're making, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year. They're making, you know, $20 an hour or whatever, which is insane that that's entry-level these days. But they're, they're, they're making $20 an hour working in a call center. And they're just like, no, nah, no, nope, not for me. And they just walk out and they have no intention of getting another job. They just, ah, you know what? I just am not feeling this. 
and this is not like to be a boomer of like everybody's gotta go to work that's not what i'm talking about here like do you folks if that's what you want to do what i can't wrap my head around is what are these people doing though right like at some point don't you have to have money in order to survive so i just don't understand i don't understand what's happening to us as a society i don't understand very much of anything and that's really been weighing heavily on my mind the last thing i want to say i'm not even going to give you an opportunity to comment on my late friday afternoon ramblings Uh uh the last thing i want to say i asked earlier today send me your stories whether you email me find me on the discord channel dm me call me text me like i am not a, a difficult person to find on the internet Find a way to get a hold of me and tell me your stories of when football was more than just football. Over the next few weeks, uh, as we put together our various newsletters, I I have some ideas uh, of things I want to talk about that will help push us through these last few months of the offseason together. And I want to talk about the greatness that is football, not just the game. And I've had a few dozen already people that have sent me their stories and we have stories from, you know, people who have parents or even children with cancer and football has, is the last memories that they have to other people who uh, were, were on the brink of, of taking their own lives and football helped push them through and, and get through their mental challenges. Football is a powerful sport. There's a lot of great friendships and memories and stories and whatever else that have come from football. So that is it. That is the only guidance I am requesting. You can make it about anything you want, but please send me some stories about instances in your life where football was about more than football. And uh, I've got some ideas of how I want to showcase how, how great this sport is that we all love and look forward to so much. I like that. And that is a good, that's a good July or good June in July where it's like camp hasn't started. We're not, the season still feels so far away. That That's a good topic for us to bring up. So I too, am looking for that. If you don't want to send it to Jeff, send it to me. If you, I don't know, there's like websites that you can do to like send anonymous emails or something, right? Like you can send an anonymous email to us if you want to, or whatever. That's, if, if, yeah, if you don't that's want, a good point. if you do not like feel like you don't want even us to know who it is, like, yeah. but we're not going to tell anybody if, if that's, you tell yeah. us something like you can tell us in confidence, if it's like, Hey, I don't want to be tied to this, like share it, but don't say my name. We're not going to rat you out. We don't, I, we... I have zero intention of saying anybody's name in any of this. So, okay. So yeah, we're not going to say anybody's name. So with that, Jeff, Let's give this weekend hell. I feel like I'm going to cut out of this. I'm going to do it. We're going to do it. I, I'm going to go find something to do and I'm going to do it. Yes. And so Jeff, with that, give him hell. Give him hell.